All right. An old-timey sermon illustration. A gentleman of very considerable fortune, but a stranger both to personal and family religion, one evening took a solitary walk through part of his grounds. He happened to come near a, a mean hut where a poor man lived with a numerous family who earned their bread by daily labor. He heard a continued and rather loud voice. Not knowing what it was, curiosity prompted him to listen. The man, who was piously disposed, happened to be at prayer with his family. So soon as he could uh, distinguish the words, he heard him giving thanks with great affection to God for the goodness of his providence, in giving them food to eat, raiment to put on, and in supplying them with what was necessary and comfortable in the present life. He was immediately struck with astonishment and confusion and said to himself, does this poor man who has nothing but the meanest fare and that purchased by, and that purchased by severe labor give thanks to God for his goodness to himself and family and I who enjoy ease and honor and everything that is pleasant and desirable have hardly ever bent my knee or made any acknowledgement to my maker and preserver? It pleased God to make this providential occurrence the means of bringing him to a real and lasting sense of religion. Wow, speaking of not as young as you used to be, that is, those words are little. Um, so we're going to talk about prayer today. Uh, do you all have Keech's catechism? Uh, we don't have all of it. We have a few, a, a little addendum from Keech's. Uh, in order to basically make the London Baptist uh, catechism conform to the Westminster Larger Catechism, which, like most catechisms, uh, has two foundational sections from the scripture, the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer, petition by petition. Uh, for some reason, that is not something that you find in uh, the shorter catechism and in our, our uh, Baptist catechism. Uh, but Spurgeon lets the whole thing end with what does it mean uh, about the Lord's Supper? That's the end of it. Uh, the 1689 and uh, Spurgeon's catechism, though, make reference to prayer like a teaser and then don't suss it out. Uh, you remember question 71. What are the outward means whereby the Holy Spirit communicates to us the benefits of redemption? This definitely is teeing up the discussion of the sacraments slash ordinances. The, the answer says, the outward and ordinary means whereby the Holy Spirit communicates to us the benefits of Christ's redemption are the word by which souls are begotten to spiritual life, baptism, the Lord's Supper, prayer, and meditation by all which believers are further edified in their most holy faith. Likewise, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says that the word sacraments and prayer are the ordinary means by which Christ communicates to us or communicateth to us the benefits of redemption. But uh, we have the question here, what is prayer's relationship to these other things? Right, uh, uh, chapter 28 of the Presbyterian Standards makes prayer a means of grace. Is that the same as a sacrament? Or is that a broader category? That is a real question. I don't feel, I don't feel prepared to answer that yet. Can something be, in a sense, sacramental without being one of the sacraments? The answer is yes. Uh, we have these things which are the means by which the benefits of redemption are communicated uh, they include not only the word, prayer and meditation, but preaching as well, right? By the reading and particularly the preaching of God's word. Preaching is, in a sense, a means of grace because by it, God's word is conveyed to people. It's an ordained means by which that happens. 
uh, and meditation and prayer also are not one of the two sacraments, one of the two ordinances uh, that we recognize as being on like the foundational level. These are also means of receiving the benefits of redemption by being in your word. You're receiving not saving grace that moves you from a situation of being in danger because there's a mortal sin to being okay, but rather deeper and deeper into a relationship of grace with God. Uh, The sanctifying work of God happens by the Spirit's working in you, and the Spirit is working through His Word, and the Spirit is working in your prayers, and the Spirit is working on your hearts when you meditate on God's Word, etc. Does that all make sense? So we have kind of a inner, I, I know this, I don't even remember the origins of it, but if I draw concentric circles on the board, there are some who will, maybe not in here anymore, other than... Yeah, well, there was a one day, there were, there were a good 15 people here, none of whom will ever forget. They have like a yearly meeting to make sure they don't. I uh, started drawing concentric circles and, and the illustration just folded in on itself. But I doubled down on it and I kept trying and I kept trying. But in this case, I think we would be safe to say you have in here the Lord's Supper and baptism. And then out here you have kind of secondary... Uh, means of grace uh, through which God has promised to be at work in us. Uh, This is a phraseology that Baptists historically have had no issue with. Lately, I think it makes a lot of Baptists nervous. I don't get why. Uh, It's perfectly good Reformation language uh, to reference that God's grace comes to us the way that he chooses to bring it to us. And that he has already revealed to us those, those means. It doesn't mean that we earn it. It doesn't mean that we do something to grasp a hold of it and pull it to us. But even when we say we're saved by grace through faith, you're saying, okay, even for uh, justification, there's God's grace as the ultimate source, but then there's the instrumental means of your faith. And that's how God chooses to bring his grace to you through your faith. Um, or bring your salvation to you through your faith. So let's read this question from Keech's Catechism 109, uh, and, and we'll talk through these suckers. 109, what is prayer? Prayer is an offering up of our desires to God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Great answer. Benjamin Keach, of course, had signed that original 1689 um, deal there. He also was the pastor of a church that became, eventually, after two name changes, the church where John Gill and then Charles Spurgeon would be pastor. So that's kind of cool. And he's well known for this catechism, which was a way of teaching children or new converts about the faith. And I think that I've yet to hear a better definition of what is prayer. An offering of our desires to God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. We have several uh, proof texts there. I think we may come back to those later as they become uh, relevant. I want to talk about what prayer is not before we get further into weeks-long discussion of what prayer is. Because there are a lot of really wonky, 
really broad ideas about prayer these days. Uh, when Kelvin was a baby, I remember being at a neighborhood party, which is something we've almost never been at, but a, a house of somebody in our, in our neighborhood we didn't really know, and a lot of neighbors were gathered together. It was kind of nice. Uh, and there's a, a lady who lives not too far from us, um, and she's an older lady. She'd had a little to drink. She wanted to hold the baby. So just to you know, paint the picture for you, She's holding the baby and kind of bouncing him, and I'm like, when do I take the baby back? Uh, I have like a, a height of bounce in mind. And she asked me what I do for a living, and I told her I was a minister, and she starts telling me all of her, her beliefs. And I'm like, if this lady was thinking a little clearer, this would be a wonderful opening for evangelism. But she was in like output mode and without the input yeah, mode. <laughs> and she tells me, you know, I think prayer is just everything we do. It's just our lives. That's prayer. And, and that's, that's, that's what prayer is, you know, like you, you live prayers. You, you don't have to stop and pray to God. And I remember I said, well, maybe I'd get what you were saying if I had as many glasses of wine as you did. And Aaron elbowed me really hard in the ribs, but it went right past. And then I took the baby back right after that. Um, you're still okay, Kelvin. Thank you. Look at she you. still looks appreciate that. She still lives nearby. She's, she's an unusual lady. She keeps getting more and more tattoos, even though she's got to be in her, her mid to late 70s, which I think is kind of awesome. Uh, but yeah, and someday maybe, you know, we'll have a level-headed conversation about, about faith and, and it'll be beneficial. But that, that to me was kind of the widest, wonkiest view I've seen of, of prayer. But in the church even, there is a kind of broadening, diluting of what prayer is. And I think it often is there sort of to absolve us of having to, like Jesus, go off for times of dedicated prayer. To say... You know, in, in life, you just sort of, breathing in and breathing out can be prayer. You know, just, oh yeah, as long as I'm thinking about, you know, the fact that I'm doing it, or I'm focusing on, uh, focusing on the action or something, we start to borrow all this capital from sort of new age, which is nothing new. Um, yeah, right, so, and borrow from the culture, what's, what, you know, what's Oprah peddling this week or whatever, and that becomes, that informs and infuses our spirituality. Uh, and, of course, very popular for a while. I don't hear much about it anymore, but it was all the rage in the Audis, um for a while, again, contemplative prayer. That's the notion that silence can be prayer. Silence, absolute silence, silence of your mouth, silence of your mind, and that is like kind of the deepest prayer. And if you're not doing that, you're just talking to God. You're really, you're missing most of what prayer can be. I'm going to try to refute that today. I'm also going to succeed. Uh, spoiler alert. Here, here's the question, and I will uh, define terms so that you can answer it. Is pray, to pray, a transitive or intransitive idea? Now, in grammar, you have transitive verbs and intransitive verbs. A transitive verb requires an object. So if I said, hey, Sean, throw that would be a, a weird nonsense thing to say. Unless I was just, you know, kind of in a hurry and, I, and he knew what I meant. Uh, hey, throw, and he had something in his hands. But you have to say, throw the ball or throw up or whatever. You have, you have to have some object there. <laughs> Otherwise, you don't have the, you know, you have no idea what it really means. Uh, and so when I say, is it a transitive or intransitive idea? There are words that, that can be used as an intransitive verb. You can use them without the object, but the idea requires 
an object. For an example, I would say the word pray. You can say I prayed and, and that's it and it makes sense. You're using it in an intransitive, as an intransitive verb. But the next follow-up question I'm going to ask is going to be, well, what did you pray? Meaning it's a, it's a transitive idea. When you say you did it, it means that there was some content to it. Um, and, and that's not unusual, right? Like the word speak. I spoke. Okay, that's, you, you don't need an object for it. But my follow-up is going to be, what did you say? All right, so, so what, what did you say? Um, and so my contention is that pray is a transitive idea. It needs an object. It needs content. And it is so every single time it's used in the scriptures, which is our model for life and holiness. It's our only source of truth, uh, ultimate truth for faith and doctrine and all that goes with our, our practice of piety and the rest. Ultimately, it's got to come back to scripture uh, to, to gird it up and hold it up. Um, I, I would say there are a few verses people want to bring up to say, well, hold on, what about? One of them is going to definitely be Romans 8.26. Does anyone know that one? It's about the Holy Spirit. 8.28. Yeah, we all know 8.28. <laughs> Romans 8.26 is the Spirit intercedes for us when we don't know what's a prayer with groans that are deeper than words. And you say, okay, doesn't that sound like you can pray without content? You're saying no, so. Yeah. When you don't know what to pray, you're not praying. It still might know what is needed. And obviously, the Holy Spirit knows what God's will is. But if you don't know what to pray, you're not praying. So. Okay. So, so Paul might be saying, when you can't even pray, be con- comforted that the Holy Spirit, he is praying for you. I would say that that's one very good response. Another is simply to say this is an exception which proves a rule. Um, Paul's saying even when you can't, you don't know what to, there is content, you just aren't fully aware of what it is. And that's not ideal. Like this, the assumption this, is that like most of the time you would know. Yeah, certainly there, there's not any ex- expectation that he's saying. So, so from now on, just... Trust the groanings of the Holy Spirit. After all, the Holy Spirit is more in tune with the the Father and the Son than you ever will be. No, 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 no. This is a kind of Hail Mary that may be too clever by half when we're talking about prayer. But this is kind of a last-ditch thing when you're in over your head and the the ground is shifting under you and you just really don't know. Or you're in a tight situation. You're like, I don't know which option. I I don't know. Know that when your spirit is groaning, the Spirit is, is interceding on your behalf with deeper groans. You can't understand them, but God does. I think that's great comfort, but it's not a license to kind of turn prayer into something, this empty vessel, right? And when we're in the Old Testament, there's two main words for prayer. The, the primary one is, uh, that's, these are all dead. No one's used this thing in a while. Let's see here. Oh, there's not even a nib. <laughs> How about you? It was, it wasn't really doing it. It was so light. I'm throwing them all away. I'm just picturing you accidentally stepping on one of those and going down like alone. That could be very funny. All right. uh, Palau. And Palau is probably the vast majority, at least especially early on in the Old Testament, um, the Hebrew really does evolve over the course of the writing of the Old Testament. It's, it's quite a long period of time. But it means to entreat or make supplication. 
ultimately comes from a root meaning to curve, uh, and it's always got content to it. It always, it, it, it's a transitive word. Uh, the other one, I won't write it, it's author, um, and it basically means to plead or entreat. It can be used of people, but it's also often used of uh, pleading with the Lord. Can you write it so I know what to write it? Sure. How about this green one? How's that going to work? Here you go. You gotta get that stop, that guttural stop in there first. There. Um, this one also is going to have to have content. If I'm pleading with someone, even if it's not specified, you know I'm pleading something. You can imagine someone pleading or entreating in general. Even if they're pleading silently with their eyes, without saying words. Yeah, there's, there's some content that's being conveyed or they are completely failing at pleading or entreating. Uh, when you get into the New Testament, prosukamai is uh, the word, and pros means toward. Uh, it basically means to express your will or your wish toward God uh, and bring it before him, uh, pros him. And then there's deamai, which is ask or beseech or beg. So it's kind of a similar dichotomy that we have or, or a similar couple of words uh, that are the main words. Compare this notion of having content that we bring before God, meaning the content of our hearts, which is what he wants. He wants us, I think maybe part of the idea of the contemplative tradition is God isn't so interested in what's in your heart right now. He wants you to completely wipe it clean and come to him so he can start impressing new things on it. But the gospel is you bring your heart as it is before God and Jesus will do away with what is there and, and burn away what is uh, not in keeping with his will and in making you a new creation is going to impress new things upon you. It's not up to us to clear our minds or clear our heart and become a blank slate. That's a different religion. That's not, that's not yeah, Christianity. That's weird because like, you think about Christ being asked or saying, this is how you should pray. None of that sort of stuff was in what he said right. <laughs> at all. Right, and we're going to look at that in, in some uh, depth and, and detail. And yeah, we're not going to come across, this is how you should pray after 55 minutes of sitting in silence. Some of the proponents of this tradition are Sister Marianne Burkhard, Thomas Keating, Henry Nowen. Um, and you know, not, it's not all awful stuff. I'm not trying to say that and that these people are completely compromised and had nothing good to bring to the table. Uh, I just take issue with this particular definition of, of prayer. Burka, uh, Burkhard, rather, did, uh, Burkhard defined contemplative prayer as, quote, the growing and deepening knowledge of God. So in prayer, I am primarily receiving deeper and deeper knowledge of God. Now, is it possible that in the course of prayer, you will gain a deeper Knowledge, meaning uh, a experiential, relational knowledge of God. Sure, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. In, in, the, in the exercise of praying, having your prayers answered, maybe not answered the way you ask and answered it. Yeah, yeah, you're learning about God. Is it possible that even God will supernaturally, through his spirit, give you a sense of, you know, if I'm asking for 
uh, direction one way or another, peace about something. Absolutely. But that doesn't imply or require me coming to him a completely blank sheet of paper. Again, that's a different, that's a handful of different religions. It's just not ours. At some point, she says, you realize you're starting to understand faith better or that you get insight into your life or the difficulties of your life so that contemplation is often something that works slowly in you. At some point, you realize, oh my goodness, I have really learned a lot and see things differently. Contemplative prayer is usually preceded by centering prayer, she says, a period typically lasting 20 minutes during which the person praying clears away active thinking. Uh, there's kind of a use of a mantra involved here. You try to get away from all your thoughts and emotions and perceptions. And she says, images that float constantly, which can be something like Jesus, Mary, let go, listening, anything that is simple and signifies my intention to be present to God. Completely just repetitive, repetitive, repetitive. The person praying then silently says that word in order to let these other thoughts go. Uh, I think that uh, this often will get confused with something called Lectio Divina, which is reading the scriptures and focusing on one part of the scripture and meditating on that and praying through that over and over again. I'm not a huge proponent of that, but I don't have a big beef with it. Uh, I think it's something different here because then there's content and it came from God's word. And now we're listening and we're praying and this is great. Uh, if it's done without the kind of mystical mumbo jumbo i need i need this to be more mysterious than it already is when somebody just closes their eyes and folds their hands at a prayer meeting and talks that's not mystical enough that's not deep enough that's not spiritual enough really a sinful person is bringing their sin and their thanks and their praise and their petitions before the creator of the universe and his son who is of one essence with him is mediating and the spirit is presenting our petitions before. That's not mysterious enough. Okay. Uh, I think it's just not trendy enough a lot of the time and it doesn't, it's too familiar to us and we want something different, something better rather than to persist in prayer, which is something God tells us to do. Uh, this is also sometimes called listening prayer. And often the goal is to get a new revelation from God. If we're going to hear him, it's going to have to come this way. Uh, there's a great uh, meme, someone saying, I wish that God, I wish I could hear God speak to me. And someone said, well, then read God's word. No, no, I mean like audibly. Well, then read God's word out loud. Uh, this, <laughs> that's, that's how we hear from God primarily. Uh, there may even be exceptions to that rule, but again, they, they prove the rule. That's why there has to be an exception. Uh, and I would not even go to the wall and say there is. I, I've, I'm just not a full cessationist. I'm not going to say God isn't speaking to us. Certainly there are ways in which God is leading his people. There is what we call unction. There's conviction of sin. There's all sorts of stuff God is doing, revealing us inside of us and revealing himself to us. But he says, open your word and read and go to me in prayer. And these are the things that we see Jesus doing. These are the things we see the apostles and the early Christians doing. And so we have to assume that if anything else amazing is going to happen, it's going to happen in the course of doing these things. Read the book of Acts. That's what they were doing. And look at the amazing things God uh, did in their midst. Jesus, like Aaron mentioned, said, when you pray, pray like this, colon, open quote, content, right? Uh, it was not, uh, and Jesus certainly um, knows how to commune spiritually with the Father 
Uh, again, one essence, three persons. Uh, and yet he's saying, this is the model. This is, you know, if you came and heard me pray and we get to go and listen to Jesus pray in John 17, right? The high priestly prayer. And it is Jesus pouring out his heart. His, I'm worried about this. If, his petition, if it's possible, take this from me. His, I, I need you to be with these disciples of mine and those that they convert. Make them be one, even as you and I are one. So there's, there's all this content to it. That's, that's the model, right? This prayer we sometimes recite together. I think that's a beneficial thing because it helps reinforce it in people's minds. But it's given to us as a model. This is how you should pray. And so we have this model. And going off model is probably not the smartest thing. When the God of the universe steps into a human nature, human flesh, and our world and says, Hey, I'll teach you how to pray. And we go, ah, but isn't this kind of... <laughs> Isn't this kind of more exciting or more interesting or make me seem more guru-esque? Biblical prayer, as opposed to listening prayer, follows the biblical instructions. Okay, so let's get some scriptures going here. Uh, Somebody look up for me James 1.6. If I'm standing weird, it's because my back is absolutely screaming in pain, but I'm trying to ignore it. Also, if I keep holding my breath, I'm I'm not like bated breath waiting to see what you'll say. Uh, Matthew 6, 9. Somebody got that one? Are you going for James? Uh Uh-oh. Showdown. Who can get there first? (laughs) Philemon, Hebrews, James. James James 1, 6. 6, 9. Calvin, what do you have? All right, Aaron, why don't you give us John 14, 13. 14, 13. 14, 13. 14, 13. Okay. And one more. How about uh, somebody look up Matthew 6, 10. Actually, you know what? Cindy's are, or, uh, Calvin. Calvin's already there. All right. So let's hear James 1, 6. Okay. James 1, 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So, the Bible tells us we are to pray without doubting. Right, or in faith. In faith. Yeah, you know, this a little. James giving us a little Hebraic parallelism there, um, which we would expect from this guy. In faith without doubting. Uh, so, that's one aspect of a biblical model. Secondly, Matthew 6 9. Pray them like this Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is. So we're going to just 69A here, I guess. We want to pray, let's say, directly to God. Directly to God. I think that's something we don't want to miss. You, How else yeah. would you pray? People you pray through saints. Yeah. Um, like they pray to saints, so that the saint can pray for them. Hail Mary, full of grace. <laughs> yeah, or, or, you know, there, there are all sorts of ways in which people offer up kind of indirect prayers. Um, because I think there's a fear of bringing something directly to God. Do you think that's why people talk about the universe? Probably, or, or great design or something. Yeah, there's, there's, I mean, it, and it's, I mean, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, and the fear of God is beginning wisdom and things, so embrace the fear of God and go to him and know that uh, he is merciful and, and loves us and, and wants to hear our prayers. Um, okay, the next two kind of go together. Uh, John 14, 13. Uh, 14. 
Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And 610. Now, 610. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think in both of these you hear the same theme, that we want to pray in submission to God's will. His will being done in Jesus' name. Those mean the same thing. Even though we often will end our prayers in Jesus' name, we pray this in the name of Jesus. I have no beef with that practice. I myself often end prayers that way. Uh, I think it's a wonderful way to remind ourselves and everyone present why we can go into God's presence. But ultimately, when he says, ask anything in my name, he's not saying my name is a magic word. He's thinking like the people would have thought in that, in that day and age about names and identity and in keeping with who I am, he's saying. If you, you know, pray in keeping with, with my identity, with who I am, with, with the will of God, submission to God's will. Even Jesus models this for us, yet not my will, but your will be done. Jesus then having to say, I got a human will that is happy if, you, if you'd give me a, a way out, and yet... I submit to the will of the Father. Uh, Luke 18, 13 and Luke 18, 1 are both in Luke 18. So one person probably could find that and hook us up. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. In humility? There it is, in humility. So I think, that, I mean, the not going directly to God is one way to deal with God's holiness. Going directly to him through Christ in humility is the other. And that's the way that Jesus tells us to do it, in humility. And then how about verse 1 of that same chapter? And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always, they ought always to pray and not lose heart. It's the only time that I know of in all of the Gospels where it precedes the parable with the meaning of it. You know the parable, it's the, the woman who's out there shouting to the judge who knows that he neither respects man or fears God, but because of her continued persistence gives her what she wants, which is justice in her case. And he says, hey, if this scumbag's gonna do that, how much more will your God who is good do give you good things? So the number five would be what? Uh, with persistence, with, yeah. yeah. Or you could even plug in there, always pray and never give up. You could probably plug in the without ceasing and, and yeah. tie it to that passage. Pray without ceasing. Uh, just, just keep praying. Uh, and when you're praying, you are bringing something to God. Uh, you are bringing your desires, your requests. You're bringing your thanks, your praise. You're bringing your sins to be forgiven. You're doing all of the above. Uh, the Bible refers to prayer as, and I'm going to just read a bunch of things here. I stole this paragraph from gotquestions.org, which is a very useful website. I don't think all their answers are right, but I would uh, put that in your arsenal for Bible studies, I think. Uh, the Bible refers to prayer as beseeching the Lord, Psalm 118.25, pouring out one's soul to the Lord, 1 Samuel 1.15, crying out to heaven, 2 Chronicles 32.20, and kneeling before the Father, Ephesians 3.14, I love that picture. Uh, the Bible never instructs us to then empty our souls, our hearts, our minds, uh, but rather to pour them out to him. If you're going to empty them, do it through your mouth, you know, or, through, or through, your, through your mind as you pray to God. 
Um, and the Bible is the word of God, and that is sufficient for our needs. Uh, we don't need to say, if I'm going to hear from him, there needs to be some Jedi transaction going on. So that's, that is my, and one more uh, reference that's often brought up uh, is Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. This is often silk screened on the front of Bible covers or Christian t-shirts or things. It's a verse fragment taken out of context. I sometimes hate to disabuse people of the notions of what we've done with some of these verses. In this case, I think it's a beautiful idea when people say, I like to just kind of sit and think about God's greatness. Good. Do that. Absolutely. Meditate. Remember, that's one of the ways by which the, the catechism told us God's uh, the, the benefits of redemption. You're, you're meditating on who God is and, and his revealed self, his revealed will, his, re, his revealed word. Amazing. Good. But when you get into, well, hold on. If, we can, if we're going to be still and know that he's God, we have to still our minds. We have to empty our minds. And we go down this road. Uh, the fact is, that is yoinked out of context. Psalm 46, I mean, this is Luther's favorite psalm. So you know that it's not going to be anything involving uh, receiving some kind of uh, new revelation or something. Um, th this is actually God speaking to the enemies of Israel. Be still, meaning cease your striving and know I am God. If we even just read the rest of that verse, if you because that's, that's Psalm 46, 10a. If you read B, it would destroy our quiet time interpretation of it. Uh, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This is something very public happening, and it involves God's victory over his enemies before the eyes of everyone. It doesn't mean it shouldn't be a verse that's important to us, and it doesn't mean that it can't also be something that we... Think about, yeah, I'm going to, to be still in this moment and I'm going to meditate on God. Yeah, absolutely, but that's not the primary thrust of it, and, and it has a context. Right, and if you wanted to go with that idea of be still and know that I am God the way we've probably thought of it, you would just have to go to Mary and Martha. Sure, or any of a number of times when Jesus himself uh, slows people down. Yeah, it says, you know, you're doing all this stuff, cease your striving. Right. And I think maybe this is why Luther was so into it too. You know, like you're working your way, just just stop and and receive, you know, and and praise God and and meditate on him absolutely. I, I again I I some I even then I don't like like getting in there and going, well actually, you know but this isn't even like the Greek or the Hebrew says. This is like the rest of the verse says. Just keep reading uh, and we'll get there. Uh, so the purpose of prayer Zach, before we leave that song. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it's uh, title is God is our fortress. Mm. Those verses, you know, 9 through 11, which is 9 to the end of the psalm, are great verses now for what's happening in Ukraine. Mm. You know, he Read them. Cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You know, I mean, right now, this persistent prayer, I think people all over the world are praying for Ukraine. This would be a great way to center your mind and, you know, pray and know that God has the power to really make something different happen 
in the world that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. And, and you just used the word center, which is like centering prayer is often tied to the contemplative pr- tradition. I like the way you used it, which is to anchor it in God's word. Right. Who he is and what he's promised us. We had a whole, I think, a year and a half of Wednesday nights uh, where we went through Andrew Murray's uh, With Christ in the School of Prayer, which was all about praying God's promises back to him, which is one of my favorite uh, notions. Uh, my, my buddy Stephen Otrogi wrote a, a little ebook, kind of boiling that down into, uh, I think, 30 days of examples, uh, which I think is, is pretty, it's called Praying the Promises. It's pretty useful uh, and, and a easy, more accessible way, maybe, than, than through Andrew Murray to, to get that concept. But yeah, like, to put it back in its context, now your prayer isn't just a reflection of what you wish God's word said or how I can sort of twist it into what I want my prayer to it's seem God. like. It is God. It is God. It's saying, I'm going to wrap my prayer around God's word. I'm going to conform what I pray to what God has said he will do and say, Lord, you know, that's what Paul's doing with the one word prayer, Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Jesus said he's coming. He says, behold, I'm coming soon. So we can pray that and, and know that this is something he will do. Uh, so I think that's, that's a great distinction, Cindy, between how you could kind of yoink that out of its context, wrench it out of its context, and twist it a little bit and not benefit, or you could look at what it really says and conform our prayers to it and be comforted by it. Right. It's not then going to be this kind of thin, cold comfort of, uh, well, this is what I want God to do, and I have a sense in my heart while I'm emptying my mind. Rather, it's I have... This is the God who stepped out on nothing, created the universe out of a handful of nothing, a billion universes, whatever the case. And he says, I'll do this. He also has made good on every promise he's ever made. So I can know when I pray for this, I am, I am on solid ground. Maybe that's a good place actually even to stop um, because I want to kind of start another section, the purpose of prayer. Um, let's tease that just a little bit. Uh, by looking at three more passages, unless people's fingers are raw from looking up <laughs> verses. Aaron, can you look up Romans one thirty nine two yes. through 4? Who was in James 1? Because I need someone back there now. Stat, James one seventeen and 1 John 5.14. I'll go there. Oh, I'm there. But if someone else gets there before, they can read it. So the question is, is the purpose of prayer to give God new information that he lacks to tell him things? <laughs> Is, is that what we're doing? Uh, we're, we're making our, our weekly report so God will know what's going on in our lives, Sometimes what we need. Like you know, like when we have a list of people to pray for. And you just kind of, yeah, yeah. You hear people and maybe even catch yourself sort of maybe even informing the group. Oh, I forgot to tell them this too. So we'll yeah. say, Lord, he's, he's out of the hospital now, but... But we'll say, as you know... As you know... Like, like bad exposition on a TV show. But, but really, anything we pray, we could, can, we could preface with, right, as you right. know, right? I mean, so I don't know that that's entirely out of bounds or something. Uh, let's hear that Psalm 139, 2 through 4. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Jesus also says God knows before you ask what you need, what you want. He knows your heart. He already knows all this, and he still says pray. So that's not the goal. I mean, that's teeing up a very easy question and giving a very easy answer, but I think it's worth 
the rehearsing that truth? Is it to alter God's mind or God's will to change God's uh, intended course of things? Uh, James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. No shadow of turning. There is he, God's will is eternal. It was uh, all of time was laid out before you or I were a twinkle in our daddy's eye. And so if we're not going to change God's mind, how come we think we see God's mind being changed in the Old Testament sometimes? That'll be a good discussion for, we'll go back, we'll revisit these next week. I'm just introducing them now. But that's not, that's not what we're doing. That's often what people think we're doing. Uh, but, but it's not. We're not going to change God's mind. We're not going to change God's eternal will with our, in fact, we shouldn't be trying to. We should be submitting to God's will in our prayers, just as Jesus modeled. Um, so why then? Somebody read that First John 5.14, or I've got it here. All right. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I think that's a great kind of cliffhanger. Like, wait a minute. But if it's not according to his will, does that mean he doesn't hear us? <laughs> and if it is according to his will, why say it, right? That is a question people bring up. I mean, if we're just saying... The answer to this, if it's not according to his will, it's not a prayer. Ooh. Huh. Fascinating. Oh, I can't wait for next week. <laughs> Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the opportunity even to come to you to bring you our fears, our, our desires, our longings, Lord, our sins in, in confession, knowing that you will erase them and wash them away, Lord, cast them as far from us as the east is from the west. Lord, that we can come to you with, with praise, even if it's tainted by our, our sinfulness, and Lord, you will receive it. We can come to you with thanks, even if it's uh, lukewarm and, and sometimes incomplete, always incomplete. We never thank you for everything we ought to. Lord, you hear it and you love us, and you want to hear it more. Uh, we know we are your beloved children, and that's why you, you want to be uh, hearing from us and, and in our presence and us in yours, Lord. We pray that we would take this uh, far more seriously than we do, that we would want to uh, come to you in prayer continually, that we would want to be people who do pray without ceasing, who, who do pray with perseverance and humility and in keeping with your will, submitting ourselves to you. Lord, help us uh, as we study through a little more about prayer in general and then each petition of the Lord's Prayer, what Jesus uh, told us to pray. Lord, open our hearts and our minds so that we can understand these things. Uh, not that we empty them and come to you uh, for something new, but Lord, we pray that you would help us to grasp these old, old truths that are eternal, that can for us help us uh, understand all the more who you are and how you want us to interact with you. Uh, we pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.